0: Let's uh, pray together. Lord, would you soften our hearts? We have to confess they're sometimes so hard, so cold. Lord, please soften them so that we can enter in to what you have to give us, into your rest, into your provision, into the work of your Spirit in us. Help us to, Lord, be open as you try and prize open our hearts and soften them this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Some people will complain about anything. Listen to these examples from the travel industry. The beach was too sandy. We had to clean everything when we returned to our room. We found the sand was not like the sand in the brochure. Your brochure shows the sand as white, but it was more yellow. No one told us there would be fish in the water. The children were scared. When we were in Spain, there were too many Spanish people there. The receptionists spoke Spanish, the food was Spanish. No one told us there would be so many foreigners. Some people will complain about anything and everything. Uh, Now, obviously that's not me, you understand, or you, of course, but we do all grumble, complain, and murmur, don't we? Just like those Israelites as they made their way out of Egypt towards the Promised Land. Now, just before we get to Exodus 16, the passage we had read for us this morning, There's an incident. The Israelites have been celebrating their rescue from bondage in Egypt with a very lively, spontaneous worship meeting. We're told there were tambourines and dancing. And then they were led out into the wilderness by Moses. And after three days and no water to drink, they come to a place called Mara, as we read in Exodus 15 here, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water because it was bitter. And the people complained against Moses saying, what are we going to drink? And so the complaints begin. All that excitement, all those choruses and hymns, all those praise the Lord"s, are quickly forgotten in the heat of the desert. Minds turn over and questions buzz. Eventually these are voiced are we nearly there yet? What are we going to drink? What are we going to eat? As the hunger and thirst begin to take their toll, the looks on their faces say it all, we told you so. We should never have left. I knew this would all end in tears. No one thought this through. And we can hear these voices in the text, can't we? The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Why didn't the Lord let us die in comfort in Egypt where we had lamb stew and all the bread we could eat? You've brought us out into this wilderness to starve us to death. doesn't take long for the complaining to start to get a hold. And if you read further into the book of Exodus and the other books, of uh, the uh, first five books of the Bible, you'll discover there's more to come. Now, we've been thinking about the theme of rest over the summer, and we might remember that saying of St. Augustine You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they come to rest in you. It looks like the Israelites have not come to rest in their God. Hearts are restless, full of complaints, complaints resulting from unrealistic expectations, frustration, anxiety, fear. Indeed, they expressed this to Moses and Aaron You've brought us out in the desert to die. Remember that saying? There's no rest for the wicked. Well, there's no rest for the complainer or the grumbler either. Complaining wears you out, and what's worse, it wears everyone else out too. Now, the odd complaint here and there, not really a problem, but if nothing is ever right for you and everyone knows it, maybe that's a problem. But the danger about complaining is that it shuts you off from other people, from yourself and from reality. Things are not always right, and there may well be reason to complain. But if that becomes our whole life, we could end up, as C.S. Lewis warns, not just being someone who complains, but becoming someone who is a complaint. Lewis writes, you get to the point where there's none of you left, just the grumble going on forever like a machine. And this restlessness fueled by anxiety and fear can easily get a grip of us and result in a person who finds it hard not to complain So how can we avoid becoming like that? Augustine has already given us a hint. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you and only in the God who made us for himself can all our restlessness finally be quieted. We can only find true rest by taking our complaints to God rather than allowing them to fester and lead us astray as the Hebrews passage we read reminds us. With the result, we could fail to find rest in God. A good way to express our grumbles, of course, is to turn to the psalms and let a psalm give them voice. For example, Psalm 142, I cry out loudly to the Lord. Loudly I plead with the Lord for mercy. I spill out all my complaints before him and spell out all my troubles in detail. Tell it out, spell it out, take it to the one place where you're guaranteed to find mercy, perspective, strength to carry on, and real and true rest. The grumbler, the complainer is never at rest, but they can, by taking their grumbles to God, siphon off some of that restlessness. But there was another issue with those Israelites, apart from the grumbling and that was distrust. This was more than just complaining because, humanly speaking, things were difficult. This was complaining because they were losing trust in God. And even when God had rescued them, provided for them, and met their immediate needs, and we saw this in the Exodus passage, some of them tried to hoard the food the manna which God provided. And some of them didn't trust that on the sixth day, enough would be provided to last for two days to cover the Sabbath. They're effectively telling God what they really think of his so-called provision. Like the manna, it was flaky not to be trusted. And if you cannot trust, then you cannot rest. You'll always be second-guessing and basically doing it yourself rather than, as these people were supposed to do, to let God provide. Of course, they still had to collect the manna, but they were meant to learn to rest, to rest in God's provision, to learn that if they stop, the world does indeed keep on turning. To accept that God would foresee and make provision without their frantic efforts to control everything. And that is a difficult lesson to learn, is it not? What would happen if I stop? For some of us, we perhaps really do believe it would all fall apart. I've just about got it under control. All the plates are spinning. Now, Lord, please don't let anything happen to make me stop. If you recognize yourself in that brief portrait, perhaps just take a moment to consider that question. Can I stop and rest, trusting that God is still on the case? But how do we rest in God's provision? I want to suggest some principles that might help. And the first thing is accepting that his provision may not be what we expect. We read in Exodus 16, In the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp, and when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they didn't know what it was. Moses said, It's the bread the Lord has given you to eat. Well, what did they expect that morning? Earlier they complained about missing all the meat and bread they could eat back in Egypt. And now this looks like frost. Frost in the desert. How's this going to nourish us? We're not elves who can eat those, you know, those little pieces of whey bread that Tolkien has his elves eating. We need meat and wine and stew and bread and vegetables. Well, maybe not vegetables. (laughs) I'd be very surprised if any of them expected this. And yet it does the job. It sustains them. And we need to have eyes to see that God's provision may not be what we've been expecting or wanting. It might just be different provision, but not as we know it. Indeed, from the way the Israelites react, it looks like they look down on the manna after all. They name it that because it sounds like the Hebrew for what is it? It's a little bit like when one of our children takes a fork and picks at something on the side of their plate, and then they look up at you with that expression on their face and say, "Ew, what is it? So let's open our eyes that we don't miss what God wants to give us. It may not be what we expect. And then we need to remember that God's provision is by grace not dependent on my part. We may have noticed that when God made the manna come, it came for all. It fed the lazy, the greedy, yes, even the complainers. They're not told to go and sit on the naughty rock. Seems that God just loves to give. And didn't Jesus say something similar? That God makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. He makes the rain fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. Not only can we do nothing to earn it, though we may have to make effort to obtain it, it, it's given to all, and anyone could collect it and have enough to live on. The provision made no allowances at all for those who had been more pious and perhaps thought to themselves, those lazy people don't deserve it. Next principle, God's provision is enough. But is enough ever enough? In our reading this morning, we may remember that the Israelites were instructed to gather, as it says up there, enough for the day. Clearly, the aim of the provision was to sustain the people in the desert. It was to be sufficient enough and no more. Now, we can argue about whether God gives us just enough or more than enough or in abundance. Some teach that with enough of the right kind of faith... We can expect bulging wallets and perfect health. So-called prosperity gospel. Here in the desert, though, it didn't matter how much of the right kind of faith you had, you wouldn't get any more than anyone else. Even the grumblers with little or no faith at all. It's enough if we have something left over. Great, perhaps save it or give it away. This does rather go against the expectations of a capitalist society, where many adverts, and you may have seen them, they claim to save us money, but what do they do? They urge us to immediately go out and spend what we've saved. How mad is that? God provides for our needs. Well, it's enough, but it's not necessarily what we want, maybe. Indeed, if we don't get what we want, maybe we should consider if we do have what we need. But wait, you're kidding me, right? Um, You're saying what I have is enough. Have you seen the bills? The price of literally everything, will it be enough? I don't know, but there are means. God uses means, and it's vital, I think, to avail ourselves of them. That might be state help. It might be the body of Christ. It will certainly involve praying by yourself and with others. And there is a sense, I think, in which we can only get through this crisis, (laughs) what crisis we've had so many, with God and with each other. And I hope, I pray, these means will help us to rest in God's provision and say honestly, I might wish for more, but this is enough. Another thing the Israelites had to learn was that because the provision came daily, they had to renew their trust daily. A thousand container loads of food and drink did not arrive in the desert so the people would know their needs were met no matter how long the journey took. I'd prefer that, wouldn't you? Instead of having to go out each day and gather a new supply, I could just go to this giant food bank and take what I needed. The Israelites did not get it all up front. How could they? They had to trust on a daily basis and live with the uncertainty of not knowing how it would work out. Indeed, wasn't that part of Jesus' prayer that he taught to the disciples? Give us today our daily bread. It's easier to get it all all in one go, no doubt. Uh, Easier, yes, but we'd quickly forget the provider if that happened. Take him for granted. Indeed, I suspect the Israelites did that anyway after a time, but there was that opportunity for gratitude and a little bit of awe as they went out each day to collect what they needed. And is there somewhere in our lives that we turn aside from everything and just thank God for all he has given us? Perhaps a little leap of surprise in our hearts as we realize he's done that without us doing anything. The Israelites made the mistake, as we all do, of looking back and rose-tinting the past. We were much better off in Egypt. No, they weren't. Why did we have to leave? But God was no longer in the past, and God's method of daily provision was designed to encourage the people not to concern themselves with the past and not too much with the future either, for God's provision was in the present We could say God is a God of the now, and harking back to a less-than-brilliant past or worrying about an ever-darkening future will rob us of his provision and make resting in it more difficult. Which isn't to say providing for the future or thinking about it is not important, but Jesus did say not to worry about tomorrow because today has enough trouble or hassle of its own. Indeed, it does And the final principle, the Sabbath. This is what the Lord commanded. Today is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever's left, keep it till morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it didn't stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there won't be any. Isn't it interesting how God bakes that principle of one day and seven of worship and rest into his provision for them? I think that's quite deliberate. It would make sure that people realize that God's provision worked even when they didn't. And perhaps keep the people on their toes. After all, if they got the day wrong, saved the manna, it would go bad except on the Sabbath. And so we come back to that question, what happens if I stop? Well, the people stopped on the seventh day, they did no work. And so like nothing else, this lack of provision on the Sabbath, but rather trusting that the previous day's provision was enough, would drive the point home. Rest on the Sabbath. I've no doubt many of the people itched to get up and do something, but they had to rest in God's provision and stop trying to make their own. And indeed, the word Sabbath in Hebrew means stop. And it may be time to think for ourselves about making a regular Sabbath, regular stopping, coming to rest each week if possible in our lives, to just come out of the hurry and the worry and rest by those Still, waters to find true rest for body and soul. I think Chris Reddin spelt this out in her sermon a few weeks back, and if you can, listen to that on the church website as much fuller uh, presentation of the Sabbath. Time out like that is going to be time well spent. Amen. True rest is found in God alone. True, lasting. And total provision can also be found in God alone. Indeed, Jesus himself makes this very point in those memorable words from John's Gospel, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not go hungry ever. Spiritual rest and spiritual provision are all concentrated in Jesus Christ. That extends to other realms as well through whatever means God should choose to use. And those means, my friend, could be you. Now, sometimes I I worry I don't really understand God's provision in a real life or death way because my life is too comfortable, too controlled, too secure. And I was humbled by a story from the life of Andrew White. Some of you may know him, the former vicar of Baghdad. He led there a congregation of several thousand people. And one day, some visitors come to find out what life is like in Iraq for Christians. And the visitors are surprised by the joy they saw amongst the people. How can you be so happy when you are surrounded by suicide bombers, mortar rockets, and just such violence? And one of the young people answered, when everything is taken from you, Jesus is all you have left. And when Jesus is all you have left, you realize he is all you need. And that is something to ponder on. Jesus, the bread of life, is all we need. That our hearts and minds would move from the provision to the provider, from our daily bread to the bread of life himself, so that we rest in God's provision, yes, but also come to rest in God himself. Amen. I want to invite us all to stand if we can if you can't that's absolutely fine and just spend a few moments waiting on the Lord. Listening for that still small voice to whisper in our hearts and minds, is there something maybe I need to let go of that prevents me from resting in God? Is there something I need to take hold of to help me to trust? And if you feel the need, please ask someone to pray for you. There will be experienced prayers in the prayer corner on my left over there. So let's just have a moment of silence. Perhaps there's someone here who feels it's just all too much. Everything's piling in. I struggle to find the time to do all these things we're talking about. I pray you'd find the Lord and be able to find the time, a little bit of time each day to come apart, to grow in faith, to, to know he is enough, and I will, um, what I have is enough. Please do not go away today without praying for someone. If, if there's just something you, that's stirred up, something you know is going to niggle you, just please get someone to pray for you. Let the Lord touch you. i oh, just pray to to bring an end here. Lord, lead us to that place where we can truly rest in your provision and come to rest in you. Amen.